Alexander Pope, the famous 18th century English poet, is the second most frequently quoted person in the Oxford Dictionary of Quotations. Who do you suppose is the first most quoted person? Who? <laughs> well, usually Jesus is the right answer in church, but in this case, not exactly. It's Shakespeare. Anyway, he's number one. Alexander Pope is number two. All that to say that he was a well-read and very influential man. And so Alexander Pope, in the style of Jesus, wrote a beatitude that he offered to people uh, as a way of happiness for their life. And this is the beatitude that Alexander Pope wrote. Blessed is he who expects nothing, for he shall never be disappointed. You know, as evidenced by the myriad of people who have quoted that in the last couple of hundred years, many people have adopted that as a beatitude for their life. And why not, right? If you don't expect anything, you can't be hurt or disappointed. If you don't expect to be loved, then you're not hurt or disappointed when you aren't loved. When you don't expect to be served or cared for, then you're not hurt or disappointed when you're not uh, served or cared for. Unfortunately, we often adopt this beatitude about God and about the kingdom that he is establishing as well. You know, if we don't expect too much from God, if we don't expect too much concerning the growth of his kingdom, then we won't be disappointed when growth doesn't occur. If we don't expect that we will ever make a difference in our culture for Jesus' sake, then we won't be disappointed when we don't make a difference in our culture for Jesus' sake. We weren't expecting it anyway, so our faith stays intact because God hasn't disappointed us, and we can just continue on in our merry way and allow polls and politics to discourage and defeat us and to cause us despair because actually we don't expect anything different anyway. Well, Jesus has something much better for us. And Jesus has something much better for our world through us. By his own encouragement, by the encouragement of the Lord, you and I must expect the Lord to change lives and to grow his kingdom through us. I hope we'll be convinced of that this morning as we come to the word of the Lord. So if you have your Bible with you, if you'll open it to Matthew chapter 13, the first book, first gospel in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one there in the pew for you. And when you found Matthew chapter 13, I'm going to ask you to stand as we hear read together the word of the living God. Matthew chapter 31, chapter 13, beginning in verse 31, this is the word of the Lord. Then Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it's the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. 
He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you again for your word. Speaking it to us. Preserving it for us. Thank you, Lord, that... Living our lives according to your truth is the only path of blessing for us. And so we pray, Lord, that we would submit our lives to the truth of your word. Calling now, Spirit of God, to take your truth and apply it to our hearts. Turn us into the people that you desire us to be. Doing the things you desire us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much. You'll be seated. We need to begin this morning by looking at the day on which Jesus spoke these and other parables to his disciples. Because it must have been a day of Jesus crushing, crushing wrong expectations in Matthew's life and the life of the other disciples and replacing those with expectations that are good and right to have about Jesus and about the kingdom that he's come to establish. And that should be the goal of our lives, right? That the Lord would, would crush those wrong expectations and replace them with expectations that are good and right for us to have about Jesus and about his kingdom. So what's going on uh, in, in this day? Well, Jesus has been doing some really unexpected things. No, no surprise there. Recently, he has cast a demon out of a man who was blind and mute. And after he cast the demon out, the man was able to see and to speak. So the Pharisees' reaction to that and the reaction of the teachers of the law was to say that Jesus himself was possessed by a demon and that he was casting out demons by the power of the devil himself. Very sadly, because of the things that Jesus had been doing, members of his own people his friends, and his family, they have said this of Jesus. He's out of his mind. Now, those are friends and and some of the family members of Jesus saying that he's out of his mind. So clearly, Jesus is stirring things up, and he's doing these unexpected things. And so, Jesus has returned to his home, the house that he's using for home base for his ministry in Capernaum. It's on the, the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. Well, because of all the things that Jesus had been doing, people have crowded this house. They've crowded inside it so there's no room. They have crowded around the outside of it, and such a large crowd is there. Scripture says that Jesus and his disciples don't even have an opportunity to sit down and share a meal. There's no room. But Jesus turns the inconvenience into an opportunity to teach the people. Now, there's a sermon in itself, right? Turning inconvenience into opportunity. That's what Jesus does. So he begins to teach the crowd in the house, outside the house. And while he's teaching, someone sends him a message. Jesus, your mother and your brothers are here and they want to see you. But they couldn't get to Jesus because of the great crowd. Now what do you think Matthew and the other disciples expected Jesus would do? What do you expect Jesus would do when he received that message? Well, I would expect Jesus to say, oh, just a minute, please, would y'all make way? Would y'all make way? 
Mom, come on in. Right? She's your mother. Welcome her. That's not what Jesus did. For those of you who know the story, instead, Jesus responded to this news of his mother's arrival with this question. Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And then as Jesus began to answer his own question, he beautifully and lovingly And in a way that honor and bless his disciples, he stretched his hand out over those who were gathered before him. And he said, here, here are my mothers and my brothers. For everyone who does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother, my sister, and my mother. Can you imagine how the disciples felt in that moment, this unexpected Reaction of Jesus, this unexpected gesture and these words to realize if they fully could comprehend all that Jesus was saying, that they, though not blood relation to Jesus, were just as close to him as his own family. That's their position. That's how Jesus views them. You are my brothers, my sister, my mother. Even more importantly, Jesus indicates that his family is ever-increasing and it is to include those that Jesus says, whoever does the will of my Father. Whoever does the will of my Father, they are my family. Whoever, that is a wide open word, isn't it? Whoever, anyone, has the potential of being part of the family of God. This word is without distinction. This word is without limitation. Whoever from whatever race, whoever from whatever social strata, whoever from whatever educational background, whoever, male, female, young or old, slave or free, whoever, all can be part of the family of God. What an unexpected paradigm shift for Matthew and for the other disciples, from everything they knew or for everything they had been taught previously about the kingdom of God, Jesus expects that his family, his spiritual family, God's children to be extensive and diverse. And it took something as unexpected as not saying, hey, Make way for my mom to get the point across. And so I hope that will be our expectation as well. Not just that somewhere in this city of Charleston, not just that somewhere in this world that the kingdom of God will be extensive and that all kinds of people will become part of the family, I pray that it's our expectation here at Redeemer Presbyterian Church that our family will be as wide open as this word. Whoever. That our church will be extensive in its growth. And that our church will be diverse as well. That you and I will embrace as family as brothers and sisters, whoever places their faith in Christ, that you and I will expect God to make it so. He can do it. 
Do you believe that? I guess not. Do you believe that? It's easier not to expect it to be so, isn't it? Because we don't observe it and it seems so difficult. So if we don't expect it, then we won't be disappointed when it doesn't happen and we're off the hook and God is off the hook. Let me tell you, it's so much more honoring to the Lord. It's so much more trusting of his power if we sweep our hand across the city as Jesus swept his hand across the crowd and said, whoever. Isn't that beautiful? Pray that God will make it so. The day continues. Look in verse 1. Matthew tells us, chapter 13, verse 1, that Jesus then leaves the house and he goes to sit by a lake. Perhaps Jesus is trying to find peace. I don't know why he does what he does, but hey, a grassy spot beside the lake, place that I would like to be. Sounds nice, but it's not to happen because the crowd follows him to the lake. And the crowd is so large that Jesus has to leave the shore and get into a boat to prevent being crushed by the crowd. Well, once again, Jesus turns inconvenience into opportunity. And from the boat, he begins to teach the people his truth. And he does it by telling them stories, parables, parables about the kingdom of God. If his disciples knew what the kingdom of God is supposed to look like, then they need not have fear. They need not be afraid to have certain expectations of that kingdom, even bold expectations of the kingdom. So listen, if Jesus' earlier interaction with his family had had a profound impact on Matthew, then Jesus' teaching from this boat had an even greater impact. Look with me in verses 34 and 35. Matthew writes, Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. So whatever it is Jesus spoke on this day. However it is he spoke the words, whatever tone he used, whatever gestures he used. As Matthew watched, as Matthew listened... He saw the greatness of Jesus before his eyes and to his ears. Matthew, in that moment, knew that Jesus was fulfilling Scripture. And that's why Matthew quotes in verse 35 the essence of Psalm 78, verse 2. Jesus is the eye of that passage. I will open my mouth. Matthew realizes that Jesus is the prophet of God, the Messiah of God, that Jesus is the fulfillment of the word of God. So while Jesus teaches, Matthew realizes that he transcends this one moment in time. So much so that as he writes in in verse 35, Matthew is taken back to the creation of the world. And whether or not His mind or the mind of the disciples can grasp all of this in this moment. His spirit knows that Jesus is uttering the truths of God. 
truths that go all the way back to the creation of the world because Jesus was there. And so it should be for for us. The Spirit of God within you and and me, realizing that Jesus transcends just this one moment in time. He does. Jesus is the eternal Son of God. And if you and I are going to have hope, if we're going to be brave enough to have great expectations of God, it's only going to be as we get beyond ourselves and our time and our culture to see what God is doing and has been doing from the creation of all things. And that's the place that Matthew takes us here in this passage. Everything that happens along this historical, chronological timeline. All of it plays into what God has been doing since the time of creation. We've seen it before because we go back there so often. And we've imagined that creation itself, and in creating all things, it's as if God was creating a temple for himself. And when God had finished that creation, when everything was just as he wanted it to be, what did he do? He placed his own image Within that temple, right? Man and woman, male and female, he created them in the image of God. And as his image bearers, man and woman are to to reflect the image of God to creation. That's God's expectation. That people that bear his image reflect that image to creation. So whatever interaction... These image bearers have with what God has created. The created thing, whether plant or animal or another human being. They should receive from this man and woman only what is reflective of a great, good, glorious, gracious, loving, and just God. That's the way it's supposed to work. When creation is treated this way, all of it. When it's not used or manipulated to perform for the good of those whose care it is entrusted to, then it's going to thrive and flourish and fully and truly be what God has created it to be. And then that creation will reflect back to God the praise that most certainly will come from those being cared for in this way by those who reflect the image of God. Now we know the rest of the story, don't we? We know about sin. We know about the fall. We know how it changed everything. We know that creation was cursed because of sin. We know that the image of God was marred and destroyed in human beings. But nevertheless, our call remains the same. God did not discard people after the fall. He did not go with a plan B. It's still people that God intends to use. People in whom the image of God has been restored through faith in Christ. It's those people who go into the world and who reflect the the glory and the image of God throughout all creation. Matthew takes us back to creation in these verses Because what God put in place there at that time, his purpose for human beings, 
informs us how you and I are to walk through the world now in a way that fulfills God's expectation for his people. And so Jesus tells us a little more of that in the parables that we have before us this morning. Now, there's good news and bad news. What do you want first? Good news? We're only going to get to one of the parables. (laughs) So you can relax. We're not going to do both of them this morning. But we are going to look at the first parable that Jesus speaks to the disciples from the boat. The parable allows us to set right expectations. This parable will help us to put away meager expectations and fear of disappointment. So let's hear it again in verse 31. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field, though it's the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants, and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. Thankfully, we don't have to beat this parable to death to get the meaning out of it, right? It's, it's pretty clear and obvious to us. The point is this, from a very small beginning, the kingdom of heaven on earth is ever-growing and ever-expanding and ever-exceeding expectations, just like that mustard seed. Go figure. Who would have thought the tiniest of all seeds would grow into a tree large enough for the birds of the air to perch in? But that's what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom that Jesus came to usher in started so small, didn't it? A baby born in a, man, in a stable of all places, laid in a manger. How could there be a, a smaller, seemingly more insignificant, inconsequential beginning than that, honestly? And the end was certainly no grander. Jesus was despised and rejected, put to death on a cross, and laid to rest in a borrowed tomb. Doesn't even look like a small beginning, does it? That, in fact, looks like the end. (laughs) But look what has happened ever since. And you know what? You can say what you will about Jesus. A lot of people say a lot of things about Jesus. And you can be his greatest opponent, and you can be so bitter that there are even Christians on the face of this earth But no one can deny that when Jesus spoke this parable, he told the truth about the kingdom of God. Did he not? From a small beginning to exponential growth. A pew report, not pew like that, pew report. Published on April 2nd, 2015, says this. As of 2010... Christianity was by far the world's largest religion, with an estimated 2.2 billion adherents, nearly a third, 31%, of all 6.9 billion people on earth. And that just counts the people who claim Christ right now. It doesn't include all the people who have gone before. So I'm just saying, you and I need to set our expectations in accordance with Jesus' truth. And he tells his disciples, now, from this boat, the nature of the kingdom that he is about to turn over to them. He's about to entrust the growth of this kingdom into their care. And so this truth should encourage his disciples. 
regardless of the hate that Jesus says they're going to experience from the world, regardless of the suffering and the persecution that's going to come into their lives, the kingdom of heaven on earth will grow and grow and grow and grow. And what? What? Grow. That's what we should expect. To quote what Jesus promises a little later in Matthew 16, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so this parable of Jesus was meant to encourage his disciples, encourage the churches that these men, along with the women who followed Jesus with them, were to plant It was to encourage the churches that those churches were going to plant and the churches that those churches were going to plant all the way down to the present time, to where we are today. We are to be encouraged. We are to have great expectations. Christ's kingdom will never fail. Ever. Christ's kingdom will never be extinguished. Ever. It will grow always. Because it has the life of Christ in it and the power of God behind it. And that's the point. Jesus is the fulfillment even of this parable. Isaiah 11.1. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse and from his roots a branch. There it is. Will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of power the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his place of rest will be glorious. He will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four quarters of the earth. Of course, the kingdom of God is going to grow because of the person of Jesus Christ and who he is. That's who we offer. He is who we offer to the world. And so Christianity is going to win. Evil is going to be destroyed and Jesus will reign. And so you and I need to set our expectations according to that truth. But I'm not sure that we do. Let me read the rest of that Pew report. By 2050, in the U.S., Christianity will decline to claim two-thirds of the population instead of the more than three-quarters who claimed the religion in 2010. That is, of course, if the trend continues as it currently is. But here's the question. Why should that trend continue? What would your answer be? Why should that trend continue? You know, if God in his sovereignty determines that Christianity in America will increase for his own purposes and for the good of the church, then so be it. That is God's sovereign plan. But may it never be that the The church declines because God's people expect that that is naturally what is to happen. No, we're wrong. The kingdom of God, like a mustard seed. And we wrongly have this self 
propagating defeatist attitude, we look at our culture and we perceive that Christianity is on the decline and we retreat because we believe that we are on the decline, that we're irrelevant, neither seeing nor taking our place in our culture, so we decline even more. And we have an enclave mentality or a, a, a ghetto mentality. You know, we're, we're, we're ghetto people. Just this small, distinct group surrounded by this larger group that swallows us up and doesn't really understand us and just pushes us to the side. How sad that this is too often where we believe we belong. How wrong we are. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. And this is not God's expectation for those who bear his image, for those who are indwelled by the spirit of God. His people, you and me, we carry within us the the spirit of God himself. And the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ And we take that into the world, into all that God has created. And as we do what God has called us to do, that creation becomes more fully what God has created it to be through faith in Christ. With our every interaction, yours and mine, with what God has created, with other people or with the earth itself, that interaction should be from us, words and deeds that reflect that our God is great and good and glorious and gracious and loving and just. And when people are treated in this way, when they're not used or manipulated to perform for our good, then they have the potential to thrive and flourish and be more fully and truly what God has created them to be. Then they in turn can return praise and glory to God. That's what you and I should expect would happen as citizens of this kingdom. That the kingdom that Jesus has called us to be part of is always growing. You and I should get out of the enclave. You and I should get out of the ghetto. You want some more good news? I don't know, do you? Okay. Tim Keller has been in town the past couple of weeks. What? What? Oh, oh, I thought I heard angels singing. (laughs) Oh, that was just Butler, I guess. But Tim Keller's been here in town. He's been at the beach. And Friday, he did a live Facebook event from right here in Charleston. It's just funny. I always get reports of the Tim Keller spottings. (laughs) People call me and say, I saw Tim Keller. I saw Tim Keller. I love Tim Keller. Uh, Anyway. The, the big theme of this Facebook uh, event that he did was to talk about starting gospel movements. And Tim Keller and, and uh, those around him believe that a movement begins when 15% uh, of any population uh, comes to 15%. So it could be any kind of movement. And so the point is that when 15% of a population become believers in Christ, then a gospel movement has begun. And so Tim Keller is praying that 
that New York City will experience a gospel movement, that 15% of people living in Center City, New York, will become believers in Jesus Christ. At that point, they become what Tim Keller calls a creative minority, a creative minority who take their place in the world of the arts, who take their place in the world of business, who take their place in the world of politics, and in those places have gospel interactions. So my question is, why should we not pray for the same thing to happen here in the city of Charleston? Why should we not pray and expect to become more than a gospel or a creative minority, but in in fact that we would become a creative majority in this city? Because you and I have gospel interactions wherever we go. Listen, people, Believers in Christ, we got to get out of the ghetto. We got to get out of the enclave. We've got to stop expecting so little because we believe we'll be better off that way. Blessed are those who have no expectations because they will never be disappointed. Stop. We are disappointed with God, and it's easier to believe in Him if we don't expect much from Him, right? Forget it. Forget it. The nature of the kingdom of God is to grow. God has designed it that way, so let's move out into the places that God has placed us with great gospel expectations for great gospel growth among all kinds of people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for time together with your people, time together in worship, time together in your word. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this brief parable that you have spoken to us, and I pray, Lord, that you will do what only you can do, and that is to take your spirit and apply your truth to our hearts. Keep us as your people, Lord, continually thinking about the mustard seed, how it began and how it ended. Lord, remind us that that is our reality for people who are part of your kingdom. Lord, forgive us for having either no expectations of you or such meager expectations of you. Father, forgive us for not being more engaged in our culture with gospel truth. Forgive us for watching the decline of our culture and saying, well, that's just the way, you know, that's the way... It goes, the good old days are behind us. Lord, there'll never be another Ronald Reagan. And on and on we go, Lord, and we accept the decline as just the way it's supposed to be. Remind us, Lord, it's not the way it's supposed to be. This is your world. It belongs to you. You've placed your people in it. Help us, Lord, to expect you to do great things for your glory, by the power of the gospel in us and through us and in and through this community in which you've placed us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.